Hello, it's Jack Tudor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Angel Markloyd, music composer and producer, multi-genre, multi-instrumentalist, whose best-known project probably is Fire Tools. So Fire Tools has a new album out now. I'm upset because I see something that is not there on Haosu Mountain. It's amazing. I've been spending a lot of time with it. At 48 minutes, it's considerably shorter than Eternal Home, the last Fire Tools LP. Yet it still sprawls. There's always so much going on within Fire Tools music, so much colour. The kind of music you get in 1980s news magazine shows from the US. You've got New Age music, massive guitar and sax solos, black metal screams, all of it occupying this single space in a manner that kind of makes you wonder why it couldn't before now. There's a real joyous disregard for the kind of codes that imply what should go together that ends up making Fire Tools sound really liberated and unique. This is a really electrifying record. I'll put a link in the show notes. And given the contents of Fire Tools music, it's no surprise that Angel is wonderful when talking about other records and her connection to music. So she picked three really interesting records for this. And I had the best time getting to know them through her anecdotes and analysis. So hope you enjoy this one. And if you're enjoying Crucial Listening, you can donate one off or monthly over at coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening. And that helps contribute towards the costs associated with running the show and the energy exerted in just keeping everything ticking. Thank you for listening as always. Please do enjoy this episode. This is Fire Tools, Angel Mark Lloyd on Crucial Listening. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hello. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, I want to talk about your three important records. That's why you're here. Before we get into those, I thought I'd ask a few questions on the new Fire Tools album. I am upset because I see something that is not there, released on Halsu Mountain. So I wonder if you could take me back to the beginning of doing this record. I mean, was there anything in particular that was the first thing to fall into place, whether that's like a sound or a particular track or a concept that got everything rolling when doing this album? Um, for me, it's more that I started making music when I was a little kid and it hasn't stopped. Right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so when I started working on this album, it was just because I 
was working on the album before that and there had to be a cutoff point um, to send in that material and sort of organize it. Um, But I I am sure that the day I sent off those masters, I already had, you know, five or six or seven or ten songs already started. (laughs) Um, So there's really no start and end point for me i feel like all of the fire tools albums are just one long album one long song really huh that's interesting because i was gonna ask about obviously you've got eternal home which is significantly longer than this one i wondered whether or not that fed into a decision to make something that was more refined durationally or was it literally just here's my deadline here's all the tracks i've i've got and uh this is going to be the record well, I I will say that when there's a plan to release another record, I do um, start to think about um, the songs in an album sense. Mm. Um, you know, like I like I, I might have like thirty halfway finished songs, but I'll I'll choose ones that feel like I could make a story out of them. Um, and then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll write lyrics or refine the lyrics and then start thinking about artwork and start to form concepts and, and narratives and stuff like that. But um, I've never sat down with a clean slate um, and started from scratch. It's not really how I work. I think that with Eternal Home, I mean, it was the same deal. It was a significantly longer album, but it is the same concept. It just happened to be with 80 minutes of material rather than like 40 or 45. Um, so with uh, with this new one, we actually went into it thinking, let's just like, you know, terrorize my audience. Let's do a triple this time. <laughs> <laughs> and we looked into it because I had I already had like enough material to where if I finished it we would have had like a three LP set. So we looked wow. into it, and we were gonna do it the Bandcamp way this time around, where they manufacture the records. Um, and it turns out that they they didn't have like a triple LP like deal that that we could that we could sign up for and produce. Uh-huh. So um, we were just like, well okay, maybe we'll just do one this time. Maybe we'll do a double after that down the road. But, And I'm, I'm kind of glad. I'm glad that we went back to a single because it's given me an opportunity to, um, you know, like you said, um, I don't remember the words you said, but like a, a more like refined, um, concise statement or whatever. Um, mm. I was really happy mm-hmm. to do that again. But who mm. knows? In the In the future, we might see... A triple or maybe even something bigger. I don't know. <laughs> nice. I mean, I feel like you kind of answered it there. It feels like track sequencing is a big part of this once you've settled on the pieces you're going to use. I mean... Oh, yeah. Yeah. This new record has a fabulous yeah. sequencing because the end of the record has this lovely... To my ears, anyway, obviously you may feel differently, but kind of like a slope down. There's a point at which the mm-hmm. tempo's really drop everything kind of opens out into this it's like you're emerging out of a forest into a big open space um yeah talk to me about Mm -hmm. sequencing this record and your yeah what were the things driving how you decided to 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 put these tracks into an order oh well that's a really good question because i really do care about sequencing i think a lot about 
like the transitions and, and the way it feels for one song to end and another one to begin. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm like, if I go driving, if I have to run errands or anything like that, I'll just put on all of those songs I've been working on and listen to them and take mental notes or talk to my my note app in my phone, you know, turn the kick drum down three decibels in the chorus of track two or whatever. And Mm. so sometimes I'll be listening to these songs in whatever order they happen to be in my phone on, uh, I'll hear and feel what it's like for one song to end and the next one to start. And I'll be like, oh God, I got to put those two songs next to each other on the album. So I'll Mm. like make that note because there's a certain feeling you get with that sometimes it's when like the songs are in the same key and it sounds really cool to have them next to each other mm-hmm. sometimes it's when one song is like a completely and utterly different vibe than the next one that comes on and it it feels really good to have such a jarring change so mm. i think a lot about that and y- you picked up on something important i really wanted the record to end the way it does for it to like get slower for it to get calmer um maybe like more sentimental more emotional Mm. i mean the very last part of the last song on the record is um really really potently emotional to me i mean there was a there was a time well i guess it still is that time but you know when i was working on it and then listening to it afterwards and mastering it and everything like Every time that last section of that last song would kick in, I would just weep. It, it's just, it's it's almost too much for me. And I, I don't wow. quite know why I feel like my music sort of um, takes on meaning after the fact that I didn't even intend for it to be there. And there's something about that last section that means something very profound and significant for me. And I'm still not quite sure what it is, but it's... Uh, I'm so glad that it's the last thing that's on that record. I mean, that's like really important. Mm, that's awesome. There's another thing I wanted to bring up with you about this record, but I guess also a lot of your records in general, which is your guitar solos. I love your guitar solos. Mm-hmm. They're so great, and there's some wonderful ones on this record. Thank you. I wondered how long it took you, or tends tends to take you to nail a solo like do you spend a long time writing them like how many takes do you end up recording them yeah tell me a bit about that hmm i don't know if there's really a pattern um i'll definitely just you know hit play and then loop the section and just play and play and play until things start to take shape and sometimes i'll do them in sections like i'll write a couple measures um of the solo and get that recorded and then listen to that and and see where it wants to take me after that. Um, Mm. So there's really no rhyme and reason. I think that some of the solos I've written and recorded like fairly quickly, like in like 10 to 15 minutes even, and then other ones I've I've recorded and then have gone back later and redone and things like that. Um, Mm. I mean, I listen to a lot of um, 80s, rock and and so guitar solos really sensual kind of epic sounding guitar solos emotional guitar solos are um a big deal Mm. for me 
Um, mm-hmm. I've always loved guitar solos, and I've I, you know, I I was disappointed as a as a young child that they were no longer found on the airwaves. Um, you know, by <laughs> right. the time the the mid '90s came around, because I was raised on arena rock and prog rock and things like that. Um, but yeah, I take them very seriously. I think they're important. I think they're very emotional and very expressive. Um, I've always thought about making like a massive mix of um, songs with my favorite guitar solos in them. I still might do that someday. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'd love to hear that. Um, I mm-hmm. mean, the record is awesome. I will include a link in the show notes for people to check it out. Um, Angel, so we should talk about your three important albums. One question I like to ask at this point is about how you thought about the word important when picking your list of three records. So was there a way that you understood importance in order to come up with the list that you did? Yeah, I think I wanted to make sure I picked records that um, have really moved me emotionally, like to tears or to the point where like some kind of profound inner experience was was catalyzed um Mm. and i you know i i picked three like very well i was gonna say guitar driven but one of them is very keyboard driven but (laughs) the guitar work i think in all three of these is really important and you know i I guess you could say these days I'm primarily an electronic musician. I don't necessarily make rock music in any like traditional sense. Um, but, you know, out of all like the, the noise records I listen to and all of the, you know, like deathcore records I listen to, as far as being like like sentimentally, emotionally moved... Um, I would say that the three records I chose are are um, top contenders in that category. Nice. So let's go for the first of these records then. Which one do you want to go for first? Hmm. I think we could start with the Contortionist record. Nice. Cool. So Language released in 2014. So maybe start by giving me a little introduction as to why this one's important to you. Well... I think my friend Martin um, suggested it to me. He he was kind of suggesting to me at the time, um, like prog records and records that were like sort of adjacent to the gent genre. Mm-hmm. And um, contortionists, uh, it, especially for that album, was very like loosely like in in that world um not very much like maybe i would say maybe they're like adjacent to it and and the language record is very um it's it's just barely in that category because it's Mm. just extremely like melodic and and beautiful but i i was in a place at the time where i wanted to find much heavier music and he showed it to me and i can't remember what song I heard first, but I was just like so blown away by it, like so moved. And, you know, I ended up listening to the whole record and it it was one of those 
times where like you find a record and you hit play at the beginning and then you wind up at the end and you're just like holy shit what just <laughs> happened to me <laughs> yeah. like what like where did i go mm. for that period of time and i just found myself like moment after moment just like feeling so like overwhelmed and trying to catch my breath with like how beautiful and moving it was and um you know oddly enough like you know i couldn't understand all of the lyrics but i was hearing certain lines that were making me go like wait a minute like this this has some pretty heavy spiritual content i think mm -hmm. and then i i ended up reading through the lyrics and being like oh wow yes it does very much so <laughs> and you know spirituality is really important to me so you know after going through that experience hearing the music and then reading the lyrics afterwards it just kind of like you know exponentially like like magnified and intensified um its importance to me i guess do you have any thoughts this is always something this comes up often on this podcast no surprise but often something that's not really uh easy to articulate but what was it do you think that really got to your core i mean one thing that i think when you say about the fact you kind of wake up the other side and you're like well what happened it has a real flow state continuity to it like the whole thing feels like one big piece you don't notice the transitions and to be honest you really don't feel like time is kind of shunting forward at all it's got this real smooth oceanic kind of rolling thing going on with how it's structured um what is it that yeah, yeah really I totally makes agree. it yeah is that what brings you in do you think or, or keeps you there or part of that at least Oh, it's one of the many things. Um, it's funny, like, uh, the, the lyrics touch on, like, the subject of the flow state uh, several times. I mean, I think in two different songs, he, you know, repeats the, the phrase ebb and flow. Mm. Um, so that's kind of, um, yeah, it's very telling. Um, yeah, it definitely does feel like one big piece with its peaks and valleys. Um and I just, I just love how it can be so dissonant and noisy and jagged and almost chaotic at times and just seamlessly go into like melodic content that just makes you feel like your heart is like being like embraced by warmth. Mm. Um, like if, if you even though like the first well there's an intro track but yeah okay so the intro track you hear that and it's it, compare that to like track three which is just like like odd time signatures noisy jagged almost like chromatic um prog metal like a uh, fairly disgusting sounding at times <laughs> you know with some of the chords and it's like yeah. those songs are only like you know there's only one song between them mm. and you know if you've heard my music you'll you'll know that i'm like very attracted to bringing in those two different worlds um and making them sound like they're part of the same thing mm -hmm. uh, because i think that life and humans are very much like that we're so multifaceted um so why can't an album or a song be that way i mean it feels like those kinds of songs and albums and and bands are 
more well representing um, reality than any artist who like sticks with a genre. You mentioned the gen adjacency of it. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that's part of the appeal as well that it's not completely within gen? It's kind of liberated to do more, or yeah, what's your relationship with gen as well? Oh well, I love that stuff very much. Um, I I was late to the game. Um, I only started getting really heavily into it uh, maybe, I don't know, like two years ago. I mean, I've always liked extreme metal my whole life, even into my single digits. I mean, I discovered death metal when I was still in elementary school. Um, But so I wouldn't say it's necessarily because it um, there's a lot of room for for other musical uh, styles in in contortionist sound or anything. Um, I just think it's really cool that they have a little bit of that in their in their metal. Um, mm-hmm. I I just really love that sound. I mean, Meshuggah changed metal forever with um, <laughs> with some of their earlier material, and it's just so cool to 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 hear that in in like progressive metal and progressive rock i mean i remember when progressive metal and rock used to be like all about odd time signatures but now you can have the most complicated rhythms that are you know hard to follow and nod your head to um while all still being in four four yeah Um, because it's really like what the the accents are doing that are really crazy and i just love that sound so it's so cool that that contortionist is so, um, you know, rich melodically and so so moving in their chord progressions and vocal melodies, while also doing that really dissonant, noisy, like almost like uncomfortable, nasty kind of sound, like within the same song or the same mm-hmm. part, even depending. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Meshuggah are uh, one of my important bands like there's definitely a riff on this contortionist record which is i feel like a hat tip even to a mashuga riff like there's almost like a direct little nod to it Um, yeah it could (laughs) be and i bet you if if there is they're probably proud of it and would never deny (laughs) it so that's cool um and there's also i found as well when i was looking up this record to listen to there are these rediscovered versions of well have you heard those yeah yeah um i haven't listened to those as much because i didn't discover them until after i had been listening to the album for a long time but Mm -hmm. i um i do really enjoy them that it was kind of a kind of confusing the first time i heard them because you know you're so used to hearing songs a certain way um but i really appreciate that they did that and i love their reasoning behind it you know, they were just playing those songs every night on tour and playing them over and over again and rehearsing them over and over again. And things just kind of start to shift after a while and you just start to get ideas of new things to do with mm. um, these songs that you've been playing the same way forever. And I, I think that kind of happens to a lot of artists, but it's very rare that an artist will actually go into the studio and mm-hmm. and record them like that and that's that's just so cool i love that 
feels very jazz that like jazz feels like it has that inbuilt elastic approach to recording like artists would just go yeah. and do that and the song would be 20 minutes instead of four and it'd be totally different yes but less so in metal yeah. which is which is cool have you seen them live no i haven't uh i would love to um i don't really have much excuse for not seeing them live i don't have any excuse for not seeing so many bands live i haven't been to many shows in the past like five years but mm. i would absolutely love to see them live i i know that i probably wouldn't i wouldn't be able to hold it together i would just be a mess <laughs> if i saw them and, they um, released some um professionally recorded um live versions of songs from various albums on youtube semi-recently and i listened to them and i just like i couldn't believe how flawless they were like i'm sure oh, there was wow. some editing um after the fact um because that's just normal but it, it was just so impressive because the vocalist that was on language um wasn't on their earlier albums and they played songs from earlier albums and their vocalists just completely nailed them i mean they're they're all like you know harsh vocals on their old album or almost all um mm. not not as much singing mostly like screaming growling whatever you want to call it and you know, their current vocalist is like a, sounds like a classically trained vocalist. So it was really cool to hear him just do these like full on metal songs. And then their newest material is almost all clean singing and not very heavy at all most of the time. So hmm. just seeing them evolve as a band has been really exciting too. I, I love when metal bands like go soft and <laughs> i love even more when like softer bands like get heavier over time i i love seeing bands change like that it's really exciting mm, it's really cool do you like do you connect with the uh the newer contortionist stuff and does it kind of retain the same spirit or have they like moved on completely well i do love it i think it's incredible but i i don't think that anything could ever replace like what language means to me and what the experience was discovering it mm. um mm -hmm. i think that we all have those those albums with bands we love we might love their whole discography but there's gonna be and it's usually the album that you found when you first discovered them mm -hmm. or maybe you discovered them based on one album and then you found another one and that was the one so i mean i don't think that they'll ever be able to have the effect on me that language had with like new material but i also can't see them ever doing something that i wouldn't like they're just incapable of that i think <laughs> Okay, Angel, let's go to your second important record. Which one do you want to go for now? Uh, let's go with the Sweel Loon um, Air EP next because we want to save the ultimate for last, I guess. 
great. So, um, yeah, yeah, give me an introduction as to why this one's important to you. Uh, so I was in a in a phase in my life where I was um, pretty much only playing and listening to um, emo and screamo music. Uh, it's, it sounds funny saying those words out loud because I know they're such silly words, but... <laughs> I'm very loyal to like the first, uh, you could say, two waves of those genres. And, um, you know, I've been listening to that kind of stuff since my my early teens. And so I was playing in bands that sounded like Sweela Loon and just really into that style for a while. And um, I was in a band called Age 16, <clears throat> and our sound was very modeled after... Sweela Loon and then this other band called Loma Prieta, um, mm -hmm. who they sound quite a bit different now. Um, but at the time, um, uh, when their, their album Last City was their most recent one, um, I almost included that on here. Um, it was a toss up between Sweela Loon and Loma Prieta. But so I was just playing that kind of music and obsessed with their records. And, and at one point, they, they came to America on tour and um, I, you know, I tried to book them a show on the East Coast as an excuse for my band to play with them and it worked out and it was really awesome and I met them and so they were going to come back like the next year, I think, and um, their drummer had hurt his hand so the guitarist was going to play drums for them and they asked me to fill in for guitar. And it was just like a, just a, a dream come true. Like, I couldn't believe it. This is like one of my favorite bands making like probably, <laughs> as funny as this wow. phrase sounds, like top-notch screamo. Um, <laughs> but I told them, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. But I don't know if you know this, but I'm a better drummer than a guitarist. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you want to stick to your instruments, I can play drums. <laughs> And really the only thing I had to show for it was um, this uh, EP of this power violence band I played drums in. So I sent that to them and they were like, yeah, sounds like you could probably pull this off. So mm -hmm. they flew to America. We had a couple rehearsals and I got all the songs down and we did like a full tour together. Uh, wow. Like three weeks, four weeks or something like that around the U.S. And I know that doesn't have anything to do with this EP necessarily. We did play three or the f or four i can't remember songs off of the ep on the tour but um i feel like this ep like kind of represents that time in my life when i was really able to connect with that band and um i just absolutely love how they are melodically very along the lines of the the more like calm like traditional second wave emo sound with really twinkly melodic dissonant guitar parts um but, you know, they were doing blast beats and screaming mm -hmm. over them. And um, I just, I absolutely love that. I love really melodic, uh, almost just kind of like, I don't know what the word is. It's like saccharine, um, like melodramatic, almost like melodic content in like melodies. Um, mm -hmm. But like with blast beats and screaming, like it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> And I just love yeah. them as people, and I I miss them, and I try to keep in touch with them. Um, their guitarist Carl sends me videos of of him playing guitar to uh, Dream Theater songs that he's learned, and um, 
yeah it's just an amazing ep and their full length before that um is is just as good so i mean it's interesting as well that you've picked it now i've heard you talk about your relationship with nostalgia i mean obviously as well this just sounds like a really kind of important and wonderful experience that you had having loved this band and then playing with them but how come in 2023 like now this is still something that you know when you get the question of what your important records like this is the one that in the present still feels pertinent to you um i think it's because i'm still like really passionate about that genre and when i think about that genre like the best records in that genre the most well done ones um you know that album just like really sticks out Mm. um I actually haven't I haven't listened to it in quite a while. It hmm, I think I showed it to my wife like eh, less less than a year ago, like within the last year, but other than that I haven't really listened to it with the volume up and let it consume me and I really need to do that. Um mm. there definitely is a lot of nostalgia to it. I think that as as soon as I hear like the first note you know, I get zapped back to that time mm-hmm. where I was like driving around in my I, my Jeep around the country because they couldn't fit me in their van. <laughs> I had to drive <laughs> the right. whole tour by myself. <laughs> they paid for gas, but um, yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> wow. Did you, um, did you do a lot of touring with bands back at that time? I've done quite a bit of touring, yeah. I started out touring with a band in my early 20s. We booked our own tours a bunch of times, and then we hooked up with a few like small-time booking agents to do a couple more tours. Um, and then when I got really into noise, I booked myself a bunch of solo tours. And then um, I haven't done much touring after that, actually. I have mm. done... I, I, I did like one like tour that was like a couple weeks long with a band called street sex Mm -hmm. um i opened for them every night for a little while and that was the last time i've really done it but i've probably spent collectively i don't know like four or five months total touring in my life maybe six Wow, nice. Probably more like, I don't know. It's just there's a lot of like week and two week long ones that are kind of spread out. So I'm probably underestimating. It might be more like eight or something. I don't know. I can't. <laughs> right, right. I, I, can't, I can't think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you like, I mean, because it's interesting when you toy with a band, although maybe not in this case because you're kind of solo in the Jeep, but how do you find touring solo versus like touring with a band? Like, is that is it still kind of like push your buttons if you're kind of going out on your own compared to like you know having four of you going together well if you're touring solo you make a lot more money (laughs) (laughs) so i like that yeah that's true it's not as hard to find somewhere to stay and if you don't find anywhere you just sleep in your car at a rest stop and it's not an issue um you're only feeding yourself you, you know it it's um it's a lot better in that way and i also just like really love being alone Mm -hmm. i love solitude Mm -hmm. i love being able to drive by myself in the car listening to what i want stopping at all the starbucks i want (laughs) peeing anywhere i want (laughs) smoking all the weed i want um so 
I really do love that. But at the same time, I really, really miss playing in bands. I haven't done that in a long time. I would love to do that again. I mean, as long as you love your bandmates and uh, enjoy being around them, and as long as they're not, like, really hard to, like, work with as far as, like, logistics and all of that, then it's really a, um, a great time. Um, it also has a lot of its disadvantages. I mean, if you're in a big band, money is always really hard. Mm. Um, you end up like eating like shit the whole time. <laughs> um, and you know, like if it's in the summer, you're just like hot and sweaty up against other people a lot. And that's just like never fun. I think there's like a sweet spot. It's yeah. like the vehicle's good and the weather is good and the shows aren't terrible and the band isn't too big, um, <laughs> then it it really can just be like the time of your life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. To um, pretend it's Air EP, I mean, you haven't listened to it in a while. I'm wondering if, as you're speaking to me now, is there a track that protrudes as a favorite? Like, is there one that sticks out for you? Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, oh god, like what it's like a really long title. Yeah. It's like <laughs> September gave us awkwardness some I yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly can't can't remember. But yeah, that's definitely the one. I mean, that's the first one that they had posted um when it came out or before it came out. I guess it was on MySpace. I I had already known their their full length before that by heart. Um every single song. I remember when they came here on tour, um I think that was their latest one and so I just I got to see them I I like went to so many of their shows like five or six of them mm. and I remember seeing them play all those songs every single night um so I was so familiar with them so when like that first that first riff comes in on on that September song I was just like taken aback it like mm. it couldn't have been a like a better follow-up because you never know what it's going to be like when one of your favorite bands comes out with new material you know it could just not resonate as much but it was just so great to already love the shit out of their material before that and then be anticipating this new release and as soon as you hit play you're just like oh my god i didn't know they could get any better <laughs> yeah i love that You've um, brought up something else I really love as well is that it's when you're going on tour and you're with a particular band, you just hear the same songs day in, day out, but in different rooms, different spaces, like different energies. It's such a wonderful way to experience, you know, live isn't one shot when you're on tour, right? It's like you just get the same song seven nights in a row. That can be really wonderful. I agree. I think that you can tour you can tour with a band who play music that you don't even like and by like the sixth show you love their music <laughs> yeah you've already yeah. written harmonies to all the vocal parts <laughs> you know when all the stops are coming um you yeah i mean i've done this before i've toured with a few bands where i was just kind of like you know, like a, a booking agent was like, oh, we're going to put you out with this band and I'll go listen to it and I'll just be like, eh, mm -hmm. this is not really like my thing, but, you know, maybe it'll be fun. Hopefully they're nice guys. And then, you know, like a weekend, you just like, you like rush the stage on their last song to grab the <laughs> mic and like sing along with them. And 
you you put on their record like on your drive back home and you're all sentimental and yeah touring with a band has made bands like like it's totally changed how i felt about a band's music i think that's a really interesting phenomenon Let's go to your final ultimate apex pick. <laughs> uh, if you could give me the name of it and then a little introduction as to why this one made the list. Well, it's an album by a band called Rush, who you and your listeners may have heard of. <laughs> um, and the album is Hold Your Fire. So they've got like, I don't know, nearly 30 albums, original albums, not counting their live ones. And, um, you know, people's favorites tend to be classics like 2112, Moving Pictures, e- even their their debut, self-titled. And, um, you know, I love all those albums, um, but they, they went through a phase um, all through the 80s where they were doing really synthesizer-centric albums um their bassist vocalist getty lee just got way too into synthesizers and um <laughs> kind of shoved the guitar player a little bit to the back at times which i i think that they probably both regret a little bit at this point um but i just i've always loved synths i know we started this interview talking about guitars but you know i just th- synthesizers are they just have the ability to send you to like another planet. I mean, they they have the ability to um, you create like really like psychedelic, trance-inducing textures. Um, hearing that kind of sound in rock music is something I've always loved. Like, mm-hmm. I wish more rock bands had keyboard players. I wish more rock bands would drop a guitarist and get two keyboardists. <laughs> um, I've always loved that. So so everything in the 80s, uh, Signals, Grace Under Pressure, Power Windows, and Hold Your Fire um, are like the four my four favorite Rush albums. And then if you add Presto on after that, where the keyboards went way to the back again by that time, but I still kind of include it in that era or it's like ties up that era for me Hmm. but the reason i pick hold your fire out of those uh five records is that i think that's the one that had the the most like reverb it was the most like new age kind of sound to it it was the most like unapologetically saccharine record to the point where you know even the most diehard rush fan would hear some of those songs and be like kind of cringing a little bit (laughs) um but that's why i love it so much i mean i take it very seriously it's i've been using this word moving a lot but it's it's so moving and so beautiful and i love the lyrics they're so inspiring i have references to that album and other rush albums like all over my music i Mm. mean the, the cover of hold your fire depicts three 
floating red spheres on on the cover with like a a corny like 80s uh cgi like drop shadow and you know i've co-opted that symbol (laughs) and i use it for my own i mean that's the that's the fire tools like uh you know avatars that red sphere and that's not the only place i got that from there's like a whole lot of connections with other things but you know rush is one of the biggest um inspirations for that uh i i have a a song off of my album skinless x1 that's um called experience slips away which is a rush lyric from hold your fire and the lyrics to my song are actually just rush lyrics um (laughs) i didn't even write them i just i literally stole them it's only a couple lines but i but see the thing is i felt okay about that because they do that shit they've done that with authors and, and other lyricists i mean one of their most famous songs is just like Shakespeare. So, um, yeah, it's just a really important album for me. It's really nostalgic. I, I look back at all of these experiences I had as a kid, like watching those music videos and listening to those songs. And, um, yeah, there's there's so much I could say about them that I don't really know where to start. But Rush is definitely my favorite band. I have a, a Rush tattoo it was my first tattoo I've ever got, and I've only, well, I say only, but for Rush, it's actually not that many times. I've only seen them four times. Um, huh. uh, twice on, or no, I saw like the Roll the Bones tour, one show for the Counterparts tour, and then two Tess for Echo shows, and two different tours of theirs. So yeah, they, they're a staple of my childhood. What were the live shows like? Oh, they're incredible. I mean, they're known for awesome live shows. But yeah, they're amazing. The The lights and the projections are great. And they're just such good musicians. And just very exciting. I, I once saw their um, their drummer, uh, Neil Peart, um, or Peart. I grew up saying Peart, but I think it's Peart. Hmm. Um, he passed away a few years ago, so you know, rest in peace, but I saw him, um, you know, he, he often like throws the sticks up in the air and catches them and is, you know, does flashy things like that. And I remember, um, the third time I saw them, he, in the middle of a song, threw a stick way up in the air, uh, to catch it. And it, it was just like, he, he threw it just like way, way out. It was like the worst throw ever it like it must have landed like 300 feet from him i don't know how he screwed up that bad but it was really exciting to see somebody (laughs) that you know growing up i just thought was perfect like be that flawless or not flawless but um flawed um yeah you know making like a big mistake an embarrassing mistake in front of a stadium full of people it was (laughs) it was great it's one of my best memories seeing them that's amazing tell me a bit about as well like uh i'm intrigued as to like when you came into this record like when you first got into rush what were the records or the tracks that got you in and how did you find your way to hold your fire um the record that i first heard was 2112 i remember my parents had the cassette i was born in 84 um, 2112 came out in the 70s, like I think mid 70s or something. Mm. Um, but I have this early memory of 
that tape playing in my bedroom when I was only a few years old and just being so mesmerized by the the intro like the synthesizer intro and and then the song that that comes in it was I mean I know I was only a couple years old but to me at that time it was just so heavy mm-hmm. it sounded so mean it was it was just like scathing and you know hearing the way that Getty was singing he just like sounded pissed off the guitars sounded pissed off and the drum rolls were you know excessive and <laughs> i remember going up to my my mom and you know saying like rush they're they're bad guys <laughs> and, you know like when you're a kid you call you call like villains in tv shows and movies bad guys like that's the bad guy and i thought when i was little that if the music sounded like that and they sang like that that they were bad guys <laughs> makes sense um and it you know i don't that doesn't i don't obviously I don't see them that way now or anything but i just the memory of how like mean and scathing the music sounded to me at the time like really stands out to me i mean that's a that's a pretty heavy song a pretty heavy part of a of a rush song it's probably one of like the heaviest things they've ever they've ever done at least in that way i mean they've there's arguably heavier stuff on their their last couple of albums um heavy in like a, a more modern way i guess but like at the time i was just like i don't you know i hadn't heard anything like that um mm. at that point so yeah that was my first memory and then i discovered hold your fire because my parents bought a show of hands which is a live record of theirs that was recorded i think on the hold your fire tour um so they play songs from all different albums on that record but the songs from hold your fire that they that are on a show of hands are those are the first um versions of those songs i ever heard and um you know, I didn't really know what record they were from when I was a little kid. You know, A Show of Hands was like a a Rush album to me at the time. Those songs all went together. And so hmm. I think at some point my parents bought the Hold Your Fire CD later on. And so I got to hear the other songs that they had made around the time that they made those songs that I'm familiar with. And I just remember it put them in a whole new context and it was um it was kind of jarring at first because you know I was used to hearing you know those like cheesy synthesizer songs with some of their like super proggy 70s material right so putting them in this context of like like ambient like glistening keyboard heavy like doused in reverb like beautiful melodic rock songs bordering on new age music it was just like I, I had like found heaven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like the last song on Hold Your Fire is just like, it's almost like over the top. Like that's pretty much everyone's least favorite Rush song. That's that's Rush's least favorite Rush song. The, the last song? Because it's just like, yeah, the very, no, I'm sorry, not the very it's last Ty, song. I'm Ty sorry, Shan, but Taishan, right? I think yeah. it's the second to last song. Because I think the last one is High Water. Hmm. Um because it's it's basically like a new age song you could say it could be classified as world music which is a stupid 
genre name yeah. for for many reasons. It's borderline racist, but it it would fit in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's about the drummer like climbing this this uh, mountain in China and having like a mystical experience. And the dude is just like very science focused. You know, he he pondered mysticism. But, you know, because he couldn't measure anything or prove anything, he kind of erred on the side of, you know, materialism. But that song is just a, a grand display of a of a mystical experience that he had, um, you know, somewhat transcendent experience. And that song is very powerful to me because of that, because he, he let himself be vulnerable enough to talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. in a pretty obvious way. I mean, the song, is it's just narrative. Like, he's not even, like, being cryptic. He's like, <laughs> I climbed the mountain, I climbed the stairs, I sat on the edge, and, yeah, it's, it's kind of making me tear up just thinking about it. So, <laughs> oh, wow. yeah, that, that, <laughs> that record is just, um, yeah, it's just, it's just number one for me. And uh. in second place comes all the other 80s records of theirs, for sure. <laughs> and I still listen to that stuff constantly. I mean, I... I was listening to songs from those records uh, like two days ago, like last time I was in the car. That's so Never gets cool. old. Wow. Do you have a favorite song on Hold Your Fire? Hmm. I don't know if I could choose one. Maybe Second Nature or Open Secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Time Stands Still. Like, I always want to like avoid the singles when I answer this question. Um, kind of habitually, but that's probably not fair. I mean, I think Time Stands Still is just um you know like a masterpiece and with with amy mann's voice on that song my yeah. god it's um it's wonderful and you know, of course i love tyshawn and i don't know i love them all i love i love every single one that's an unfair question <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what i'm all about um i love the time sounds still sounded like uh kind of the rem that was coming out of that time like sounds like a peter yeah, buck guitar no, line it- yeah, no, it definitely it definitely does. I mean, they've always, in a way, they've always done their own thing, but in another way, they definitely have sort of adapted to the trends of the time, like to a certain extent, because you know, in the in the '80s when things got really keyboard heavy and really reverby, obviously they they followed suit, and in the '90s when everything like dried up and all the keyboards were just doing pianos and subtle string sounds and just very background ambience. They they went along with that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that. Like, you know, they've never been like anti-mainstream. I also don't know if they've really ever like intentionally set out to like write a pop hit. Like maybe they have, but like thinking back to all their singles like Limelight and, and Tom Sawyer and Free Will and stuff like... I don't know. Those don't sound like pop songs to me. No. So, yeah. Yeah. But, but they, they were essentially. So, it's kind of amazing. Because, I mean, Force Ten is the one that opens this record, right? And that's was that a single? Yeah. I think that it was, but it it didn't like blow up like Time Stand Still did. Mm, um, it's weird because it's kind of poppy but structured in a very repetitive, keeps kind of folding back on itself it's a like subversively weird song (laughs) yeah yeah it is like the the samples that are triggered 
on that song, the really like mechanical kind of industrial samples that that Neil would trigger with one of his like drum pads. Um, very unique. Mm. I don't think they had gone that heavy with samples at that point un- until that until that song until that album. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's a very interesting opener, and then that that little like giggle that that happens like right before the song kicks in. I don't know. It's just it's so good. Now you're making me want to listen to it. But yeah, I think that was a single. Um, but Feels yeah, it just like didn't get as big. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Did they make a? Did they make a music video for that? I don't even know if they did. There was one for. There's a couple music videos on that one on that album, but I don't know if there was one for Force Ten. I'll have to refresh my memory. My um, so I have a friend whose dad had a tribute band called Force Ten, and literally, in you show me this record, I've realized it was probably a reference to this. Um, oh yeah, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Which is amazing. Yeah, Rush is like the most dad band, <laughs> one of the most dad bands out there. <laughs> Um, I mean, my dad is the whole reason why I love them. That's so, lovely. Makes sense. Have you ever covered Rush? Um, so I have in in a couple different bands in my past. I I was when I was a um, a teenager, I was playing drums with a couple of like older dudes, like in a classic rock cover band, and we covered uh, Subdivisions and maybe some other ones. I'm not sure. And then I, I also played with some other kids when I was young, and we uh, let's see, we covered covered Red Barchetta, we covered Free Will, I think we covered Limelight too. There's this instrumental song on Roll the Bones we covered. I can't remember what it's called, but it's part of that Fear series, like part two of Fear or part three of Fear. I don't remember which one it is. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah. I I have been planning on doing a Taishan cover for a while. It's oh. on my list. I want to do a cover album, Fire Tools cover album, and I have a pretty eclectic mix of songs. I just feel like that one would be the most appropriate, and I'll probably take it all the way by, <laughs> you know, doing the black metal shrieking rather than the singing alongside that, like, pan flute sound. I, I feel like that's a very Fire Tools thing to do, so <laughs> hopefully I get around to that. The mountain speaks to me. Is that what it's? I think that's the line from it, isn't it? That's the one that really stuck out. Uh, it's me. not mountain. It's oh, um, it China. China saying oh, to me. Oh, China. That's it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really excited for that. Yeah, me too. And China saying to me. Angel, thank you so much for your time on this. Actually, I have one more question for you, which is about how you tend to buy music. Like, do you have preferred formats? Do you Hmm. have preferred places that you go to get music? What does it look like for you? So, let's see. I'm kind of, I'm kind of an asshole because I, I'm such a YouTube-oriented person. 
and they're one of the platforms that pays the least uh -huh. to artists for streams. But I use YouTube a lot for convenience, and you're not even getting the best like quality when you do that. But I think <laughs> that when I'm like sampling bands, or I just like want to listen to a certain song, or I want to uh, dial up an album that I haven't heard in a while, I'll like find the playlist. Um, it's just really convenient because like I have all my playlists there. Mm. Um, there's a ton of channels that I subscribe to that I like to watch. So I'm just like I'm a very YouTubey person. Um, however. When I do hear something new that like blows my mind or I really want to support someone, you know, I'll definitely buy it from Bandcamp. And I always write it off as a business expense because I'm <laughs> a mixing and mastering engineer. So yeah. it's really, I just, you know, I'm just like, oh, it's a business expense. <laughs> um, and nice. I will buy... Um, CDs if I really want to get a hold of um, some music that I can't find online but I'll find CDs on Discogs because then I can just get the files on my computer mm -hmm. or my phone which is how I usually listen to music if it's an album that's really sentimental to me or really symbolizes my childhood or some fond memories I will buy a cassette or a record but these days I probably won't listen <laughs> to them, but yeah, I just like fair. want them. I'll put the tape on a shelf that I can look at in my studio. And then I have a bunch of records on my wall for the artwork. I have Hold Your Fire and um, Subdivisions from Rush artwork on my on my wall, the, the records themselves. Um, so really it's just a mix. Um, if you had asked me this, like, you know, 15 years ago, it would have been all about CDs. And mm -hmm. if it was 25 years ago, it would have been all cassettes. And if it were 10 years ago, it would have been all vinyl. But I'm really just about the convenience now. I just like digital music. I don't have a Spotify account. I have an artist account, but I don't have a listener account. So I never used Spotify or Apple Music or anything. Right. Um I'll I'll stream on Bandcamp, but again, that's kind of messed up because they're not earning anything from streaming on Bandcamp. Right, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe I should rethink all of this. <laughs> <laughs> not being very good to musical artists, and I and I am one, and I, I make a living off of, you know, streams and Bandcamp purchases. So, yeah, you caught me. <laughs> oh, and sometimes, God, to make matters even worse, sometimes I'll just download on Soulseek if it's like an old, like an old album or something. Like I, I do a lot of hunting for obscure '80s smooth jazz fusion, and so um, Soulseek has been a, a big resource for that. Yeah, it's all coming out. Uh, we, hey, I did it too. We all do. We just don't talk about right, it. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I put most of my music on Soulseek um, oh, for nice. other people Th to download. There you go. Because I figure if somebody likes my music, but they don't want to pay for it, I'd rather them have it than not have it. So if you're going to steal it, if you're going to be a cheapskate, I still want you to have access to my songs because I want I want my music to move you. So Lovely. If you're going to be cheap, just find me on Soulseek. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um Angel, thank you once again. It's been wicked. Really appreciated having you on to talk about these records. I'll definitely keep them in my midst. This has been cool. Um, yeah, big thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. It was great talking to you. And to uh, everyone listening, see you next time. Goodbye.